Welcome to the Redirect Podcast. My name is Abigail Higgins. And I'm Emily Rojas. The Redirect Podcast is a show where we shift the conversation back to books. We discuss themes from some of our favorite books and how those themes show up in real lived experiences. On today's episode, we interview number one best-selling author of the From Blood and Ash series, Jennifer Harbintrack. But first, before we get to that very exciting interview, if you enjoy the pod, we would humbly ask that you support us in a few simple ways. First, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that will let you give us a five-star review and let us know how much you love our show. And we'd also love for you to follow us on Instagram at Redirect Podcast. And finally, if you really, really, really love the show, please share our show with a friend. Um, sharing our show with a friend is by far the best way to help us grow our community. Um, and obviously, very exciting things are happening because we just interviewed a number one New York Times bestselling author. So, oh my God, Emily. By association, we are also number one on the New York Times podcast list. <laughs> I, I don't make the rules. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, before we get to that, how's things going? <laughs> oh my god. Well, honestly, <laughs> I am so emotionally. I've been on so many emotional highs recently. First of all, I'm not finished with Iron Flame, unfortunately, so we can't fully. Talk I know. About that. Me either. But I'm close because but not. a lot of stuff happened last week. Like I had a choir concert last week that I was a part of. And that was like amazing. on Wednesday and the book came out on Tuesday and I had my dress. So I couldn't start it till Thursday. And then a bunch of other stuff happened. Like I'm not even going to get into all of it, but, and I'm only reading it. I'm not listening at all. So I'm like two thirds of the way through. Um, but our next episode, we will have like a dedicated conversation. Yeah, we must. But obviously that's been a lot of emotional highs and lows. Yeah. Um, also Taylor Swift. <laughs> Say no more. Say no more. <laughs> I have been having, like, I had an episode mm. when I when I started getting all the content about Karma as the guy in the Chiefs. Oh uh, yeah, tell you, yeah. My emotional well being is so unhealthfully tied to this woman. Um. And I know I, what you mean. And I didn't even think I cared that much, but I have watched that moment and then her running off the stage. I have watched that from at least 40 different angles. And every time I see it, I watch it again on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, every time I've seen it. And I'm like, I didn't even think I cared, but I, I really do. I don't I know. I know She's you put don't something. Care yeah. <laughs> I care so much. And yeah. I didn't think I did either, but holy God, I, I literally uh, feel yeah. sick. Yeah. So a lot of highs, a lot of so lows. So honestly, when people ask me, like, <laughs> no how lows. have you been doing? That, like, I know that that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Like, well, <laughs> I have this friend. This has been a big moment in my life. Her name is Taylor. It's just been so, look, look, it's been so long since I can parasocially care about Taylor Swift. And who actually cared about Calvin Harris at, at all? But that was the last time that we had any kind of real content from her relationship wise yeah. honestly or at all like <laughs> she's pretty much been quiet and now all of a sudden we're getting her at football games we're getting her running into the arms of this like extremely tall man i mean you know again if someone has the romance novel about this that's actually good please honestly send it to me i will inject it straight into my veins because i would oh, read you it. know i haven't checked but i'm sure like on ao3 Oh, I know there are some. I said a good one. You know who's going to write this, though? What's her name? Um, What's her name? Funny You Should Ask and Once More With Feeling. I want to say Elsie, but it's not. Alyssa Sussman. Alyssa. Yes, Sussman. Um, Alyssa Sussman. Come on the pod. I know she's working on it. She's got that line going because this is exactly the kind of thing she would write. So I need her, too. It's been a lot. Actually, okay. Let me indulge me really quick. Because whenever, like, they first started dating... One of my friends, Nikki, shout out Nikki, if you're listening, posted, like, sent something in our book club Discord and was like, does anybody have, like, a sports romance? <laughs> because, like, I need more of this in my life. Uh-huh. Um, and then someone said something. So let me find that really quick. But 
carry on. How have you been? While while, <laughs> while I look for this, you moved. I moved. I started a new job today. Wow. <laughs> I a lot going on. Like you said, it's also been a lot going on. Um Taylor Swift obviously. It was my birthday. Um <laughs> Yeah. So yes, I too. It was your birthday. Yes. So I too am only about two thirds of the way through, I'd say, Iron Flame. I'm working as fast as I can, but again, yeah, moving. Birthday, I think like, schedule next. We just have like a book talk episode. And we just talk about Iron Flame. And we're just going to, we have a lot of, we have a lot of stuff to catch up on. Um, yes. There's lots, there's a lot of things to say. So there we'll, is. We'll, we'll be discussing that. We will in great detail. Don't worry. Um, but if you have anything you want us to discuss in the meantime, let us know. Let us know. At redirect podcast on Instagram. Yes. I was trying to think I read, uh, sorry to segue before we get to our interview about sports, um, sports. I read this book, sports romance books. I read a book about hockey. It was a hockey romance. Icebreaker? And no, not the, that one. <laughs> that one's like infamous. I feel but this one was about a it was a neurodivergent girl who ran the social media for this hockey team and she obviously falls in love with one of the guys i'm trying to find it <laughs> okay while you look for that here are the recommendations that i got that we got in our group chat for my friend Hannah, who Hannah will be joining us for a very exciting episode towards the end of the year. Um, she's amazing at dollhouse books on Instagram, but, um, she said, IDK, what sport he plays? <laughs> LOL. She said, because I'm not, <laughs> doesn't, matter. doesn't matter. <laughs> but some sporty romances I've liked that maybe you'd want to check out are the Briar U series by L Kennedy icebreaker by Hannah Grace, the wall of Winnipeg by Mariana Zapata and literally any other book by Mariana Zapata. Oh, and the off campus series by L Kennedy. Okay. I can't those are great, them, but I trust her. Implicitly. Yes. So I, the one I read was called always only you by Chloe Lisa Lise. And I, I liked it, but what's cool about it, and I haven't read the rest of the series, but I'm looking at it and there's actually seven or there's six and seven that is about to come out and they all are about different brothers. Um, yes, I love that. So yes, it's very like the Brown sisters. It's very Bridgerton. So, yes. So it's called the Bergman Brothers series. So this is that one I read is actually number two in the series but uh you don't have to obviously read the rest but that is a hockey romance if you're into that um but again i want like a famous pop star and an nfl football guy <laughs> that's what yeah, i'm looking for that's what i want it has to be Anyways. very trailer <laughs> traveler um coded yeah <sighs> okay all right but back but to the now, point of this why you're listening to this <laughs> We're here to talk to an amazing author, like Abigail said, number one, New York Times bestseller, multiple times, Jennifer Armentrout. She writes young adult, paranormal, sci-fi, fantasy, and contemporary romance. She's published with Tor, HarperCollins, Avon, and William Morrow, Entangled Teen and Brazen, Disney, Hyperion, Harlequin Teen, and Blue Box Press. And her most recent book, which we're here to talk to her about today, is A Fire in the Flesh, which is the Fire and Flesh series book number three. That's a prequel series to her Blood and Ash series, which you definitely have seen before. So a little bit about that book. The only thing that can save the realms now is the one thing more powerful than the fates. After a startling betrayal ends with both Sarah and the dangerously seductive ruler of the Shadowlands, she has fallen madly in love with being held captive by the false king of gods. There is only one thing that can free Nyctos and prevent the forces of the Shadowlands from invading Dallas and igniting a war of primals. Convincing Colas won't be easy, though, not even with a lifetime of training. While his most favored revenant is insistent that she is nothing more than a lie, Colas's erratic nature and twisted sense of honor leave her shaken to the core, and nothing could have prepared her for the cruelty of his court or the shocking truths revealed. The revelations not only upend what she has understood about her duty and the very creation of the realms, but also draw into question exactly what the true threat is. 
However, surviving Colas is only one part of the battle. The Ascension is upon her and Sarah is out of time. But Nikitas will do anything to keep Sarah alive and give her the life she deserves. He'll even risk the utter destruction of the realms. And that's exactly what will happen if he doesn't ascend as the primal of life. Yet, despite his desperate determination, their destinies may be out of their hands. But that there is that foreseen unexpected thread, the unpredictable, unknowable, and unwritten. So that's a little, <laughs> and I apologize if I mispronounce those things. You know, you just read these words and you, you have no it. idea what they sound out like. And look, but... here's the thing. We understand this is the third book of a prequel series of a series that you may never have even read before. Um, but this is a spoiler free and beginner friendly interview. Yeah. Anyways, after listening to this interview, I think you're definitely going to want to pick up the Flesh and Fire series and the Blood and Ash series because it's definitely very intriguing, very exciting. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome to the pod, Jennifer Armentrout. Um, the first thing that we ask any guest on our show uh, is to tell us a little bit about your reading preferences, who are authors that inspire you? What are some of your favorite books? Um, if you had to give us like maybe a top three. Uh, first, thank you guys so much for having me here tonight. Um, oh gosh, it's so hard to pick like the top three. Uh, I think I have to kind of go with books I read when I was younger that inspired me to be a writer. Um, LJ Smith, uh, who wrote the vampire diaries and the secret circle dating myself all the way back in the 90s (laughs) um and uh joanna Lindsay, uh you know the historical romance old school bodice rippers basically (laughs) the classic um but they uh and i would i would say like someone new now um it's always a toss-up between like larissa ion jr ward sarah mass like you know they would probably be in in there too that's great. I think that honestly, for like for for our listeners who are familiar with your work, that makes a lot of sense. What you just said, <laughs> you can yeah. definitely see like your the life as a reader coming mm-hmm. out in your life as a writer. So I'm glad that we started with that question. Um, so also the reason that you're here, you just released a new book. Um, tell us about that about your new release, Third in the Fire and the Flesh. Or the Flesh and Fire series. <laughs> That's um, okay. I oh my gosh, you, don't even you know did it to yourself. I messed up that name. I was I used to call it the Flame in the Fire, or Fire <laughs> in the Flame, and I was like, oh well, yeah, there is a fire in the flame. <laughs> And so I don't even know how that started happening. You can't even be mad because yeah, the like third it, book in the Flesh and Fire, fire series, series is called A Fire in the Flesh. So, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about it. <laughs> um, so, yes, it's the third book in the series, which is a prequel series to the Blood and Ash series. Um, it picks up where A Light and the Flame left off, like immediately picks up. Uh, you, This book will answer questions that readers may have had while reading you know, the previous books in the Flesh and Fire, but also questions from the Blood and Ash world. Um, You know, there are going to be things that some people probably expect to see answered that they'll have. And then there's going to be a few, you know, reveals you might not see coming. So there's definitely has a lot of information in it. And, you know, know, you're going to get to see Sierra, you know, have to, to kind of find like the inner strength with the situation she's in. And you're going to get to see Colas now for real, because I feel like you only really heard about him and seen brief instances of him, but you're now going to actually get to see him and how his court is. And so, I mean, there's, there's a lot that happens in this book. Absolutely. Um, so I was wondering, what is it like, obviously you're writing, like you said, the blood and ash series and kind of this prequel series, uh, almost simultaneously, or they're coming out kind of every, you know, back and forth. So what has that been like, kind of writing both series at the same time has that been I mean I'm oppressed how you can keep all that straight in your head but what has that been like just kind of uh writing both while they're not completed series yet well you know there's there's the pro of it right that like you're dealing in the um the same world and so it's not like you're having to jump into a different like series or anything like that however it can get difficult because you know you only can retain so much information even if it's stuff that I've created, you, you, you just can't, you don't have the brain capacity for all that. 
So mm-hmm. there's moments where I'm like, oh shit, did this happen in Blood and Ash or did this happen yet? And then, you know, yeah, where you're just like, I don't remember. <laughs> and so luckily, um, the copy editors, they create a Bible basically. So anything that really happens, anything major in the series, they add to this Bible. So if I'm not 100% sure, I can refer back to the Bible because it also has like a timeline of events. Because oh, yeah, amazing. there there's moments where I'm like, is this something we knew? <laughs> Do you know how many of your yet? readers would love to get their hands on that? <laughs> well, they are getting that basically in February. So vision oh, good. is the compendium. And it we the basis of that was taking the Bible and then retelling it in um as Miss Willa retelling. Oh, awesome. It. So, you know, making this kind of you know a little bit boring information because you know, sure. for us it is because it's just like bullet points and sure. telling it in kind of a putting in a narrative format. That's like incredibly valuable though. At my local uh, indie bookstore, there's a whole section of just like reference guides (laughs) and like appendices for like people who like are that level of fan and need like the timelines, (laughs) the graphs, the pronunciation guides, all that stuff. Because it's a lot Um, like for a reader to remember too. It's like, yeah, you know, so it's good to be able to refer back to something. To that point, um, because we're talking about, you know, writing the prequels at the same time as writing the series, do you, for for some of our listeners who's maybe never picked up a book of yours before, do you suggest starting with the prequels, reading in chronological (laughs) order, or do you have a suggested reading order? You know, there is a suggested reading order. However, it really, like, if you're now just starting to read, I would think, take the suggested reading order and throw it out the window because you know, when the suggested <laughs> reading order is done, it's done thinking that you've already read like the blood and ash. So what you could do is you could start from flesh and fire because the last book in that series will come out, you know, before the next blood and ash book does. So, you know, you could, you know, read that and then start the blood and ash. Now by doing that, it's going to probably give you a leg up on some events in the blood and ash world where you would start being like, oh, this is starting to sound familiar. Like, I think this was, you know, set up in, in Flesh mm-hmm. and Fire. So you can, that would be my suggestion. But ultimately, if you wanted to start with From Blood and Ash, you could um, do that. And I think that, like, once you got to, like, The War to Queens not, or The Crown of Gilded Bones, I would then read, like, you know, the, the books that are available in the Flesh and Fire series before you read the War to Queens, because, you know, there, there's going to be some characters you're going to be introduced to that yeah. you will recognize from that series. So I'm really glad you said that, because that kind of segues into what I wanted to ask you next. So you've alluded to this a little bit, like keeping being able to keep things straight. But how do you manage some of the big plot twists, like when you are designing the plot for the prequel series, when you know that the readership already knows what happens in the quote unquote future, like the future of this world. So for instance, keeping it spoiler free, but without naming (laughs) any characters, let's say if one of the characters appears to die in the prequel series, but then you know, but the readers know from the main series that this person didn't die because there was a child that was born from them or they, there was some other effect of their life. How do you like, how does that process work in your mind about like keeping the plot twists and the big reveals interesting for the readers when they know like a reflection of what happens in the future? Yeah. And that's like the one thing with the Flesh and Fire series is that like, well, you know, obviously like certain people have to make it out of this, right? (laughs) For there, for there to be whatever. But I think where the interest comes in excitement is that you don't know how. Because the odds seem so stacked against this happening. But then there's also things in the Blood and Ash world that really don't hinder so much on certain characters being alive. But you're like, how, why is it this way? Like, why is it this one character not known? And, and then there's, you know, there's that, that I think people are also searching for is learning, like, what was it about that that caused this? But also there's, you know, there's always like the plot twist, right? But then there are these little tiny ones <laughs> that mm-hmm. I don't think the reader really sees coming. Um, and sometimes they don't even catch it on the first read through mm-hmm. or they catch it on the next book. And they're like, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. <laughs> and then they go back and it's actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, that I think is also what keeps it going is the, you know, cause you just don't know how this worked out. Right. 
I think those are almost sometimes the more interesting plot twists anyways, like those sneaky little ones that you're not expecting. Um, like sometimes, you know, okay, I have a feeling there's a huge plot twist coming, but then <laughs> the authors can sucker punch you with another one before you even get to that one. So it's like a little yeah. wink from the author. You're yeah. Like, this is for the <laughs> yeah, people who not really it. catch yeah. it. And it's like, cool. If you don't catch it, like you'll mm-hmm. still enjoy the books. And if yeah. you just want to like read through once, whatever, but there's those, do you feel like you have that relationship with your fans where it's like, Oh, this will be fun. Like, let's see if they pick this up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. So in the Facebook group of Jaylanders, where a lot of the readers kind of hang out is, you know, I'll sometimes give them hints for things to look, you know, like Easter eggs, like things Uh to do. Um, But yeah, like they uh, like they they always have like their theories and like their speculation of what's going to happen. And sometimes they're on point, like Mm -hmm. to the point where you're like, damn, (laughs) you know, they, they got that. Other times, what they're saying doesn't happen, but it's such a good idea that I'm like, why didn't I? Maybe I should. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Shit. And then other times, I'm like, yeah, what book were you reading? So you're saying, like, fans should, like, lurk in Reddit threads and put, (laughs) manifest things that they want. Like, put it out into the world and maybe it will come back to you because maybe Jennifer L. Armentrout will read your Reddit. (laughs) I wish wish that would be the case because, unfortunately, though, like the ones that I'm like, oh my god, that's such a good idea. It's like I've already gone too far down the other yeah. direction that it would <laughs> Shit, make sense. You know? it, it's like some of them, it, it, they, their theories are so good that I'm like, I hope you eventually write yourself, right? Like, because yeah. like, yeah, like, because it's yeah. like that's not going to happen in this book. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it so, I mean, great. I like reading that. <laughs> Because it is interesting mm-hmm. to see them kind of connect. I always wish more authors would expand their worlds like you have. Like, um, it's just so great. You know, you get attached to the characters or the world, and then it's just over in one book or two books. So what in particular has drawn you to continue to write within the same worlds? I think you've done that multiple times um, throughout your career. So, like, what is it that draws you to doing that? Well, I think with other series, it's because, like, you get to explore the characters more. Too. Like one thing is ultimately at the end of the day, I write romance. And one thing I find when you're writing a book, a series that's a romance, there's almost like this formula of where like the couple in the first book spend the first book realizing they might like each other. The second book, they get together, but they're, sp- they're split up at the end of the second. Trust me, I do it myself. Then the third book, you know, half mm-hmm. the book are not together. <laughs> and then they get together. Then the series ends, right? So it's like, oh, I, I didn't even get to spend any time with them together. And I like it when you get to see the couple together facing um, things together, obstacles together, versus the, um, you know, that formula of feeling almost like you didn't get to see them working together. Mm. So that's one aspect of it. And another is like when you're working in the same, you know, especially when you're working in fantasy. Fantasy, there, there there are a lot of tropes in fantasy, right? However, fantasy... There's, there's a lot of similar tropes through all the fantasy books because of just how the genre is kind of designed. Mm-hmm. So if you're writing a new fantasy and you already have fantasy series, it can be very difficult to build a whole other additional world that is, you know, that <laughs> doesn't work. Pull everything because there is, and there's a lot that you can do with writing, right? But when it's, but when you get down to the, the nitty gritty, if you're writing in a similar type of fantasy, you do start to limit a little bit. So I think sometimes staying in the same world, but you're expanding it to where it almost feels like you are in a different world can help it stay new and fresh. And, you know, for both you as the author and the reader. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wanted to, I want to pick out something that you just said about tropes in fantasy and romance and, and romanticy. Um, through your series, you employ some really fun tropes. Um, friends to lovers, you have enemies to lovers, you have arranged marriage slash marriage of convenience. Um, what is your favorite to read and what is your favorite to write? My favorite to read and favorite to write is the same, is enemies to lovers. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is always my favorite because it gives a chance for a lot of banter. And, you know, I love writing banter. I love reading it. Um, and that just sets the groundwork. And, you know, one thing with writing, every genre has tropes, right? Like mm-hmm. if it's mystery, suspense, thrillers, they all have their own set of tropes underneath them. 
And like, you know, I will say like, I feel like romance probably has the most tropes that you can go with. Yeah. Um, but enemies to lovers, I just always find that just, you know, the best of them. Just I, drugs. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like the push and pull effect that you can get with that. Like where, especially when you start off, like where one or both characters really do not like each other. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there, it, there's a, it's fun like We've, so Emily and I have talked before about the tension and the difference between like truly enemies to lovers mm-hmm. and rivals to lovers and the difference between like sometimes you read a book and the people are so mean to each other. You're like to start, you're like, how could you ever fall in love? And so we like to talk, we like to say rivals to lovers more than enemies to lovers because yeah. you still want there to be that like the tension. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, though, it's like you can have characters who genuinely do not like one another or or like maybe are plotting to kill the other one. <laughs> you know, like yeah. something like that, right? Um, wink, but, wink. Right. <laughs> but there is a limit. I mean, this mm-hmm. is me personally. There, and this, this is not the same for every author or what you like to read. But for me, there's, there, there is a fine line you want. Yeah. Because, yeah. yes, there are um, like, you know, Look, one of my things I will read sometimes is bully romance, right? I've mm-hmm. read a couple of them. And, you know, only a couple of them because some of them, you know, kind of, there's that fine line where it's like, oh, someone needed to call the police here. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. where this is, this that is just like, so where, it, where certain things are done where you can no longer suspend reality, I guess, in right. the situation. Um, so... I, I do think it requires a fine walking of a line. Now, yeah. here's the thing, though. Dark romance exists for a reason, where that line is kind of obliterated and then, <laughs> you know, goes beyond. But, like, I do think if, you know, depending on what you like to write, what you like to read, there is a, a fine line that you have to navigate there. Yeah. Um, before we I, – I, I totally agree. And – um. You're right. It's like if you're going to go go one way or the other, I feel the same way. Like either it's going to be a dark romance or it's going to be enemies to lovers or, you know, whatever. Um, before we ask, we, before we move on, I wanted to ask another specific question about the Fire in the Flesh series. So Poppy and Sierra obviously have a lot of similarities, um, which is really cool. And um, it's a really cool wrinkle in the universe. I think it's something your readers have really, really enjoyed. Um both of them are kind of learning about the magic of the world and like some, like there are things that are being revealed to them through the story. And from a reader's perspective, I think that's a cool way of trying to also teach the reader about the world and build the world without just being like, here's four huge blocks of text about like the rules of this universe. And like, you know, what is a primal and what is a God and what is a court and all that stuff. So from from your perspective as an author who already knows all the rules of the world, like, is it hard to hold yourself back from just kind of dumping all that information up at first? Or do you enjoy the pursuit of educating the reader through also educating the main character? Yeah, because it can it can be hard, like, not just to be like, let me get this out of the way, <laughs> you know, and like set this type of setting or, or reveal something that often will change, like, the course of the, the series or the character. So it can be hard to do that sometimes. And, you know, I, I feel like for most readers that, you know, well, for writers, there's two ways to do it. It's like where you drop the reader into an established world where all the characters are established and they know everything. And, you know, that can be a little bit more difficult in high fantasy because, um, again, you, you know, you take into consideration that the reader is now learning this world while trying to learn these characters while also trying to follow plot. It can be a lot if you're unfamiliar with everything, right? So that's one of the techniques of, you know, kind of having them discover or pull back things as the reader does. Um, So I I like that technique with fantasy, especially if it has like a lot of world building in it is just because it becomes a lot for a person who's reading to follow. And to stay engaged with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because eventually you're kind of like you check out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're just kind of like, I don't, I don't know how to say these people's names. I don't know what bloodline they are. I don't know where we are. Like, you know, yeah. And so you just kind of, this is too much. Yeah. Yeah. Abby and I are pretty recent fantasy converts, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there are definitely different types of fantasy books that are just probably too much for our like infant fantasy brains. But then some of them, like you're describing, if it comes a little at a time, it makes it a little easier to, to get into it. And then once you're into it, it's like, okay, bring it on. Um, so speaking of your world building, uh, we wanted to ask about your process of world building. Like, do you kind of talk things out with your friends or do you have some kind of visualization or, you know, timeline or writing things down? What's, what's kind of your process behind that? So a lot of it, like, I don't, I'm not a heavy plotter other than like, I know how stuff begins, like where, like the middle part would be and how things end. That I know. A lot of the stuff that happens in between come to me as I'm writing. Um, I cannot like sit down for any amount of time and plot out an entire book or series, like every little aspect of it, um, other than knowing like the overall reaching arcs of the series. I am envious of people who can do that, who can do like 60, 70 page like outlines. If I did that, I would be like, well, I don't want to write the book now because I feel like I just wrote something, <laughs> like, you know. So, but for me, you know, also doing it this way, it gives me a little bit of freedom to kind of surprise myself with what I can come up with. Um, but yeah, like there are times when you get stuck, like even if it's a part that you plan that you're writing and you're like, I don't think this makes sense. So you know, depending, you know, with your editor, you will like, you know, talk, kind of hash it out with them. And it's oh, really good if you can hash it out with the editor, because ultimately they're the ones who are kind of in this with you. And, um, and so they know a lot about what you're writing, even more so than your friends. Like, and of course, like, sometimes you're going to have friends who are like, really love doing that. And then you're going to have the friends who are like, please stop. Talking. <laughs> Like, you know, yeah. Like, they're just like, this is just no. You know, because I even have like people who are friends that are huge readers, but they are not like, they can't do that plotting thing, right? Mm-hmm. They can't. They just, their brain does not work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, and for me, they just want like, you to tell it to them. Yeah. Like, what happens? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, that sounds good. I'm like, but it doesn't. You know, like, you know, so, like they are, their brains just don't dig in like that. And sure. So it, it it really helps when you have it like a good relationship with an editor that you can, you know, go back and forth with them. But, um, you know, really for me, it's always like, you know, when I like, I have to have like, like whenever I need to talk to my editor about something is like, I need to have, you know, fully understand what the problem is. Cause you know, like when you're writing, like sometimes, you know, there's a problem, like, you, you know, like there's, there's a problem, but I don't know what it is. And, and that's not a good time to really talk to anybody because you're going to get your head all messed up because mm-hmm. they're going to think it's something else that you thought was fine. And then now you're and like, then you're going to get even more insecure right? about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be like, oh man. Um, so it's like, for me, it's like, I have to really know like when, like it is like what the problem is before I really start like doing the, Hey, can we talk this out? Mm. Speaking of plotting things out and coming up with ideas, is it true that you got the idea for Blood and Ash during the 2016 Olympics? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Do you remember what event? (laughs) Probably gymnastics. I think that's Mm. the only one I really watch. um, Right. Olympics I ended up paying attention to because it just fascinates me that someone can do that with their their body body to like propel themselves feet into the air. (laughs) Like it's just that's just. insane to me but yeah i got the idea while i was watching the olympics i have no idea um other than the olympics being greek started you know in my series having a lot of greek inspiration or, or greek myth i have no idea how <laughs> that happened but that's the thing like people always ask like how do you get your inspirations and that's an answer right it's it makes no sense it just pops in your head. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's the Olympics. Sometimes it's a commercial, a song, a TV, like something, you know, you, it just comes out of everything and nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And so like, it just, that's when the idea started to pop my, my head for some reason. I do not know, but it is <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that you mentioned Greek myth because this was something else in our outline. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about, um, how Greek mythology informs your world building, specifically the politics and the romance of the gods and primals. 
Um, and like, do you, how much, if any inspiration do you derive from that? I have always been fascinated with Greek mythology. I think it's some of the, out of the most world myths that you could ever read. Um, sometimes it leaves you wondering like what in the world were they on when they wrote this? Because <laughs> this is a wow. Um, so I do have, you know, a lot of inspiration, but sometimes it's not very obvious. It's not very like in your face, um, like well-known myths, for example, or legends. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, a bit of the, the politics, um, or like the, the hierarchy of gods, for example, you, you know, Mm -hmm. you can see in Roman or Grecian type. So I do pull the inspiration from there, uh, then, you know, there's some myths that I kind of have in the books that I flipped a little bit. Uh, but I feel like if you, you know, that you may see like, oh, I wonder if this was inspired by that. But I've always been obsessed with Greek mythology. I mean, down to the point that obviously Atlantis is, I mean, Atlantia is Atlantis. Like, you know, I'm playing mm-hmm. off that <laughs> myth. Um, and, you know, of Atlantis and, you know, because that, that's something that, even though historically it's very unlikely anything like that existed, and more likely that there was a civil, an island or something that mm-hmm. existed beyond something that likely had, like, earthquakes or something. Um, and then over the years, that myth was built up and built up, you sure. know. But there is something interesting about the idea that there was, like, this other place that mm-hmm. was so more advanced and what happened to them. And that mm-hmm. also kind of played a role in developing, you know, Alantia and how, you know, in that world that they were, you know, more advanced and soulless, you know. And so I, so you see the inspiration coming in there. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, to your point, like Greek myth is so built up and built up and there's so much content and like mm-hmm. literature and media that is der- derives from it. Sometimes it's hard to remember that it's myth. <laughs> you're not like oh you know achilles like (laughs) real guy you know (laughs) and then you have atlantis right that disney literally has caused everybody to think Mm -hmm. that atlantis is a place under the sea where people are like half fish i guess and live in a bubble no most people if that was real they all died (laughs) let's get yeah they they didn't move down there I've always, like, every time you bring up Atlantis, everyone's like, oh, the city under the sea. No, you mean the, the ruins yeah. that existed underneath the sea? Mm-hmm. They didn't just peace out and <laughs> go live in a bubble. You know, it, the, 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 the myth was, like, a, you know, there was different versions of it. But, you know, pretty much it didn't end well for them. <laughs> like, it just all collapsed. But right. It's Someone always, revives to, like, Pocahontas. Yeah. <laughs> the right? ending is like, oh, you're, as a kid, you're like, oh, well. And then as a adult, you're like, oh, no. but it's it's a lot like that I feel like with a lot of you know especially I feel like you know in I don't know your age but I feel like a lot of times in like my age group it's like things that you know you saw as a kid or something and then you know a lot wasn't shared about it like you know we didn't have access at the fingertips as a child or even a young adult internet was just getting started and then but now it's like you look back and you're like oh no (laughs) that that wasn't how that happened you know yeah and then you're kind of like well there goes everything in your childhood (laughs) that's accurate um kind of switching gears a little bit um I think many readers would describe your style saying you never waste a page and you're definitely great at writing that dialogue and building up that tension to kind of further the plot so um like can you talk a little bit more about your use of dialogue and, and, you know, what kind of draws you to that sort of um, for method of furthering the plot, I guess. Is what I'm, trying I'm to say. so glad to hear that people are like, never <laughs> waste a page because I'm like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your books no, are like, like 600 like pages plus. So. Pages in there. <laughs> that's- um, but like, you know, it, that's very flattering. And I feel like, <laughs> as, you know, most authors, we always wonder like, is this information people are going to be interested in? Um, and the funny thing is, it's always things that are completely unrelated to the plot that readers really like grab onto. And it's like, you know, it's those little things. Um, but like one thing I learned when I first started writing seriously was, and I don't know if this was Stephen King or somebody else who said that each chapter should have like many cliff cliffhangers. Like when you get to the end of chapter, 
you want to be forced to keep reading. Now, you, of course, can't do that with every chapter. But, you know, employing that technique does make it a bit of a page turner because, like, there's a bunch of mini cliffhangers happening consistently throughout the uh, the book, which also kind of sets the pacing, right? So the pacing then goes in. But one of the things that I do feel is important is dialogue, even in a fantasy, well, especially in the fantasy, because I want the readers to still be able to relate to the characters that are in a world that they don't recognize. and be able to see themselves in those characters or in that world. And I think that with having like realistic dialogue helps make that possible. Um, and it also opens up again for banter, the back and forth uh, between characters. And, you know, it's like, you know, I love the TV. I love the TV show Supernatural. And one thing that I loved that you would find in that show is like, things would be going sideways, right? Like, Lucifer's coming up ground again for some reason, like Crawley's running around. And then somebody always has like, like the world's ending, but somebody's going to say something hilarious. Like they're just going to be that person who that's how they cope in situations like that. Like Buffy was another one that did it very well. And that's something that I tend to do in my stuff too, because I feel like those are grounding moments that allow you to kind of like take a breather. But also, again, like, I feel like we all know somebody who is that person, like, they're the person that you don't want to be sitting next to at a funeral, because you know damn well, they're going to say something so inappropriate that is going to make you laugh. And you're going to be like, now everybody's looking at us like we're assholes. And it was your fault. (laughs) Like, you know, like, and those, I feel like with the dialogue, that's where you get to really explore those types of characters. And again, it makes it like way more relatable. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like we were saying, um, like sometimes, you know, a book can be three, 400 pages and feel so long. And then yeah. some books can be close to a thousand and you just fly through it. And I do think dialogue definitely plays a big role in that. If it's like really snappy or gripping conversations, you feel like it flies by a lot faster and you're more invested in the story and in the characters for sure. I also think that about like I, I recently I won't name the book, but I, I read a book for my book my book club that was in second person point of view, and it was a lot not a ton of dialogue, a lot of um, a lot of the characters' thoughts, and it was kind of divisive in our book club. Like this is the people who like more of a character study liked the book a lot more, and people who like more plot driven novels mm. didn't like it as much, um, and I think. I, I, I'm suspicious that dialogue, mm-hmm. like, dialogue has a lot to do that, yeah, um, with keeping you know, the pace up. really kind of strange to hear because t- usually, typically, with second-person POV, a lot of people tend to feel like they don't get to know the character as well as you do in first-person because depending on how... Yeah, because depending on how second-person is written, is either written as, like, an, like an um, like where it's somebody telling a story, right? Or then it's written as deep second-person. I think this what they call it, deep POV, where it's really, like, reading first-person. It's just that you're using he or she, you know, whatever. But yeah, like that, that would be interesting just because like, usually you hear the opposite of that with, um, that sometimes the first person will have like, you know, a lot of introspection. <laughs> like, And even as a writer, you have mm. to be aware of that. Like, you know, sometimes like when I'm writing, I'll have to be like, okay, how many paragraphs has this person been thinking? <laughs> like, you know, and kind of being, yeah, yeah kind of being aware of that. Yeah. Because, you know, you can get on a roll and then not realize, oh, wait a minute. It, it'll be like an action scene or a conversation has taken place, but there's like a page of like deep thoughts between that response. And you're like, okay. And I've done that. And then I've had to go back and be like, okay, wait a minute, Jen. I would have completely forgot what that person <laughs> said after thinking all that shit. Like I would have been like, I have no idea what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you have to kind of catch yourself when you do that because you're like, that's not how a person actually thinks. So uh, I guess, okay, you keep on getting those great segues. Um, so you're re- you're putting yourself into your writing. Like, do I understand? Like, would I, would I get that if I was a reader? How do you feel that you put your own identities into your writing and into your characters? Like, how do you as Jen show up in your characters so and like some I of your identities? Like, you know, a lot of times, like <laughs> more of my personality almost always shows up in the male lead characters. Um, like, yeah, like 
just because interesting. like interesting in the real world I probably you know I have more of that kind of often sometimes dry sense of humor or you know will you know have like you know like be the person who's thinking something even though I might not say it like you know like when something happens where not mean or anything but like when you're like again I'll use the funeral example it's like where it pops you know you're just sitting there like thinking the most this inane stuff and that kind of like manifests a little bit um but I do like do put little things of my, me in some of the characters um like with Sarah Sarah her um like issues with anxiety and depression um are things that you know I have struggled mm-hmm. with and also before I you know I went to school for psychology and that's the field I worked in for time. So it's, you know, something that I have experience in on both sides. So I like to, you know, sometimes explore that. Um, I do think you have to be careful of how much you do of yourself put into a book character because, you know, that can cause like reviews or people talking about it to start to feel personal. Um, Mm. So I do think that's Uh. something you're not, always aware of like when you're first starting out that oh this may cause this to begin to feel like a personal attack when it's not because they don't know that you basically yeah. wrote yourself into a book you know so we don't know that yeah that's a really yeah, good point it's something that, that i've never thought of <laughs> don't even realize i feel like until you have a couple books underneath your belt kind of where you're kind of like you have to be a little bit careful of how much of yourself you do put in there but but it's always good, I think, to pull from things that you actually have experience with, because I think that makes it a bit more believable to people, um, and they can then connect more so with certain certain things. Um, all right, so now we have a couple more questions with our remaining time about book talk and kind of going viral on TikTok. Um, so I guess what, what is it like having a book or a series go viral on TikTok? I mean, we're both, you know, on book talk or bookstagram and you definitely can't scroll too far without finding one of your books turning up. So what has that experience been like? And, um, you know, it's been a few, I think I saw an older interview when, when blood and ash had first kind of really gone viral on TikTok. Um, so, but now that it's been a few years, kind of what's it like, and do you engage with any of that at all? Um, yeah. So what's that like? (laughs) So, you know, I feel like it's very surreal. Like when something does go viral, because you all, because if you're usually like me, you have no idea it's going viral. Like until, you know, because somebody else in the community will say, oh, you know, because like I'll say of Blood and Ash, it started with, you know, another author friend being like, oh my gosh, like they are really like, you know, you're, they're talking about your book a lot on book talk. And then I was like, okay, well, of course you're an author or a reader. You're going to see that. Right. But then, you know, some time ago by and you would get a couple of times, but then you start getting people um, who, who, you know, in real life that probably are not following like book talkers like that everybody in the book community follows. Right. That's when I think for myself, it really was like, okay, maybe I need to go check this out. <laughs> Cause like, I'm like, like, I don't know. Cause I, I wasn't even on TikTok at that time. And I was briefly on TikTok for a period, but I had, I couldn't stay on the app because it's not very vision friendly. Like, you know, you can't maximize, you know, you, you can't see shit. If you got vision problems. So it just became too much for me to try to interact with on TikTok. But it was, you know, I feel like that day that, you know, I went and looked at it or I had a friend go look at it who had TikTok and, you know, you put the hashtag in and it shows you how many times the hashtags used. And I mean, it was millions of times. And I, we both were like, what? <laughs> it's like, you know, it was like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, and crazy. I have been very, very lucky in my career that like my career in YA originally kicked off because back then book bloggers um, were, were the book talk. They mm-hmm. were the ones who were online on um, Blogger, Twitter, Tumblr, Goodreads, talking about books. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm throwing out names. <laughs> youngins are going to be like, what? What's a blogger? <laughs> I don't even know if bloggers still exist. To be honest with you. <laughs> That <laughs> makes me want to Google that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Zanga. I did hear Tumblr was making me come back. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. Unfortunately, the teens are like romanticizing, um, like mentally ill Tumblr. I guess they got tired like, with that. You guys don't. Yeah. Let me go over the Tumblr because it's a lot easier to fake something. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have fallen down yeah. those rabbit holes. <laughs> like, oh my, like, no. <laughs> like, like, this is not how we do this. Like, this is not helping anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, yeah, so I was very lucky because they got behind my books, you know, and, you know, started supporting them. And it, it, it was word of mouth. It was organic. And that happened again with the Blood and Ash series. It was something that I had nothing to do with. My publishers had nothing to do with. And it just took off. And I mean, that is the type of stuff that is extremely difficult to happen at all in your career or for it to repeat itself. And you can't recreate that, right? You can't force that. Either it happens mm-hmm. or it doesn't. And it's still something that I'm so like in all of because it's it you just it's truly word of mouth. And you know, I know over the, the last couple of months or year or so, it's like, you know, I feel like the focus has gotten a bit negative, I feel like with the book talk, like where people are talking negatively about it. And it's like, oh, about getting like bad recommendations, just hating on book talk, which I feel like you see a lot of now on other sites or, you know, and it's like, it's like every time I want to be like, guys, like this is the internet. <laughs> like there is always going to be easy periods of time. There's always going to be rougher periods of time, but like, you know, it, I don't think that undercuts all that book talk and the same with book bloggers have done for the genres, right? Because these were just people talking about the books they love and they still are. And, you know, they are, you know, spreading that with hundreds of thousands and millions in some case of people. So it's like, you know, I do wish when people like something will happen on book talk and I, I, nine times out of 10, I have no idea what's happening. Cause again, I'm not on it. <laughs> and that you, and again, if you've been in the community for a long time, you know that something is really kicked off when it starts crossing social media platforms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if it's just on book talk or just on Facebook, like it doesn't matter. Like, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's probably not that big of a deal because it hasn't now jumped social media platforms. And again, if you've been around long enough, yeah, the yeah, moment you see that shit jump on the platform, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's like, it's now it's going viral. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And, um, yeah. you know what, again, it's like, I think human nature on all sides of that conversation, we tend to focus a bit more on the negative stuff. That's human nature. But I think it's always good to remember that, like, many of us, you know, you know, wouldn't be sitting where we are today if it wasn't for readers getting online and or getting on a podcast or, you know, getting on TikTok, getting, writing a blog, talking about your book. So it's like, to me, that makes it easier just to kind of cancel out, like, all the other noise that happens that people act like it only ever happens on one site. And it's like, have you been on the internet? (laughs) That's all it is. (laughs) Like Tumblr back in the day, too. Yeah. Right. And for all the bad, right. For all the bad, I also feel like, you know, I I assume that most of your readership are younger women. Um, But it it seems like it's the safer corner of the internet for, like, (laughs) girls to just like girl stuff. (laughs) It, It is, too, like a place where you can love, like, I feel like romance for the longest time has had to fight right the stigma of romance and we still are finding that there is not a yep. day that ends in why that there's not somebody who decided to read a book that came out in 1983 um that probably had fabio and no knock against him on the cover but that's like they're somehow out of everything uh-huh. heard, that's the book they find <laughs> um and you know then does a whole entire thesis on romance and it yeah and we're still i think combating right. that and book talk helped pull back a lot of that stigma, right? The Absolutely. Style, they were pretty much like, yes, we can totally. read this. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And, yeah. You know, and I, right? Yeah. We can read what we like and like, and that's it. Like, but we don't need to moralize that like, we don't need to read nonfiction classics. all the time. Yeah, the read, classics. Like, like I, I like reading, like, I like re- reading romanticy. I love reading historical f- uh, historical romance like I just want to be cozy and like <laughs> kick my feet want, and yeah. like, enjoy yeah and you this. know you want I mean and I think yeah. that's why fiction books are so important because they can provide you an escape just because you need one but they also can provide people an escape that really need something yeah you know to take them yeah mm-hmm. away yeah, for a little period. bit and I, I think that's so important 
I think that that is a lovely way to end the interview. We yes, very. We love here. And it has been an absolute joy to chat with you. Um, where can readers <laughs> yes. buy your book? Everywhere? <laughs> <Yeah>. Pretty much. <laughs> wherever books what else do you want them to do? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's wherever books are. It's available everywhere except for like where they've been translated. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us today. Um, and again, you can find her books anywhere that books are sold. Uh, so Abigail, before we wrap up, do you want to share any books you've been reading recently? So I, okay. <laughs> I don't think anyway, since we last talked, let me look yeah, at my Iron list. Yeah, Flame, God, I cannot wait for us to really talk about it. How far along are you? Pretty far. <laughs> Sorry, pretty far. I don't want to say what's happening yeah, because I'm afraid I'm going to be farther than you. <laughs> yeah. um, but pretty far, I would say definitely, definitely two thirds. We're probably very similar. Okay. Along. You're, are you in part two? Hmm. Yes. Have you turned the page into part two? I believe yes. Okay. I haven't read anything. The last thing I read before this was The Woman in Me. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> I have gotten just sucked down this crazy rabbit hole of um, the Bridgerton prequels and spinoff series. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and there's like, the thing is, it's drugs. Because these are mm-hmm. short. Mm-hmm. Um, they're old. So they're like readily available at the library. Mm-hmm. I got them like on Kindle and audio. And I've been like, like last week, I finished one like every single day. Like I just... Wow ripped through them. Um, and I just love it. Like, it's just comforting. Julia Quinn, like you always know it's going to work out, which is amazing. You have the historical element, which I love. And it's just like, it's so like romantic and she just Mm -hmm. kills it. And I, Mm -hmm. I have been getting super excited about, um, season three of Bridgerton, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately keeps getting pushed. I think it got, I think they finally announced it's like, may of next year but it was just like i was in a mood and i needed it um Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. if there are any bridgerton fans out there who would like to read the prequels the prequels are the rokesby books my favorite of the rokesby books was the first one because of miss bridgerton highly recommend that and then if you end up reading the smythe smith quartet my favorite of the smythe smith quartet was just like heaven um so highly recommend and honestly dream guest for this podcast would be Julia Quinn. I would lose it. I would lose it. Um, yeah, the fame's going to our heads. Honestly, yeah, the fame is going to our heads. <laughs> now I'm like, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, she literally like, but you know what I will say? So from my little free library, I got, um, Queen Charlotte by Julia Quinn and Shonda Rhimes. And I loved the show, but this book was written after the show. Like the show was written first and it was just literally all of the same dialogue. There was nothing different. And I think for me that didn't work so much. I I was like, Oh, like I can read, I can read the book that it's based on, but I want there to be something different or me to get something a little bit extra, something more. So I didn't end up thinking that it was really worth my time um, to finish that one. But yeah, I've just been in a Bridgerton swirl. Um, and also, I have something to tell you. Tell me. My book club for like our Christmas or like our holiday um, meeting, we are reading. There is a Talia Hibbert Christmas novella. <gasps> what is it? It's called. <laughs> Wrapped up in you by Talia Hibbert. Okay, and I, it's I think it's Add like two pages or something like like yeah, like it's very short. But Even I better. was like need. Okay, I'm adding that to my cart. You're there. <laughs> yes, I am reading it already. Season pass, like Talia Hibbert. Yeah. Christmas. No, yeah, she I'm she there. can do no wrong. Yeah, I love that. amazing. Yeah. Any other book news we need to cover? Probably. <laughs> tune in next time in two weeks when we have our book talk episode and we are more 
um, you know, less going through so many life changes and more coherent. Yeah. You've been going through a lot. Yeah. I found a lost dog last week. Um, I saw that on Twitter. It it was so cute. It was so cute. But Pepper's <laughs> that was like, a hater. Literally, though, that was like, I was not prepared for how cute the picture of the dog would be. But <laughs> but listen, it found its mom. That's good. It, we That's found good. that, like, we found the owner, which is good. Oh, so, good, good. Um, Even better. Yeah, it got back to its owner. And apparently the dog, like, had had pneumonia and she had nursed oh, it back to health. And so, anyways, it was, like, really It sad. worked out. Yeah. It was a dog sitter that left the back door open. I would sue. I would What's worse, sue. that happening to you or you being the dog sitter? No, and I would die. I would, there's no other option but to like turn yourself into the federal prison, honestly. Wow. Anyways. All right. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Bye. bye. <laughs>